You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 341 of Locked on Raptors for Thursday, May 31st. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked on Raptors. We can find links to every single episode. Of course, make sure you're checking out the Locked on Podcast Network. It's a great resource this, this time of year with uh, the draft coming up for most of the teams that we're talking about still. Um, and then if you're a fan of the Warriors or Cavs, make sure you're checking out Locked on Warriors and Locked on Cavs, as well as Locked on NBA, as they cover the finals every day throughout the course of the week. Um, and lots of draft stuff as well. David Locke had Jeremy Wu from SI on today to talk about prospects. So if the draft is your bag, that you're covered on the network. If the finals are your bag, you're also covered on the network. So make sure you're checking out all those shows and if you find a host that you like subscribe rate review to that podcast and you can please do that with us locked on raptors is on itunes spotify stitcher all the podcast places and if you leave a rating or a review it's the best way to support the show and show that you care and boost my ego and all that good stuff so uh thank you in advance for doing that and uh let's get into this thing here today on today's episode, we're, we're continuing our player reviews, uh, the season reviews for 2017-18. And joining me today, a uh, guest that I'm very happy to get on. It's been uh, a while that we've been trying to set this one up. Uh, Raptors Twitter legend, is that fair to say? Uh, host of host of the Raptors Roundup podcast. Uh, you know her as uh, at AA8. Uh, you're, you're, okay, never mind. It's Abigail Amarty. How's it going? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I tried to read your Twitter handle you know, out phonetically, okay. and that did not work out very well. Um, yeah, I'm good. I'm happy to have you on the show. Today we're talking about Jonas Valanciunas, uh, which I'm sure this will be the episode where I get a lot of people talking at me about what I said about Jonas and, and being upset because the hive never rests. Um, <laughs> I guess we should start, Abby. Do you consider yourself among the hive? JV hive? Yes. Oh, definitely not. Okay. <laughs> I'm definitely not. That, that isn't to say that I'm not a fan of JV, but I'm not as rabid as those in the JV hive. Disappointing. I thought we were going to get a Jonas is Shaq if you give him the ball uh, sort of take on today's show, but I guess we'll be in kind of agreement for most of it. But that's fine. There's plenty of Jonas is actually Shaq takes on the internet. Um, yeah. Let's get into sort of the... The, the nuts and bolts here with Jonas. It was a really good season for him. And I also, people know from this podcast, I do not count myself among JV Hive, but I could not help but be impressed by his season this year. He was just better at everything across the board. He wasn't, you know, incredible at anything, but he was just good in pretty much every facet of the game. Uh, his per 36 numbers, just his production when he was on the court, just skyrocketed, even though he played fewer minutes than he did. Uh, previous seasons actually career low in minutes this season with 22.4 maybe that has something to do with his effectiveness maybe that's you know being in situations and sort of being maximized when he's playing as opposed to just sort of having to be out there for longer stretches of time I don't know but it was a good season for him he started shooting threes those were super fun Um, his defense you know the Raptors were a top five defense with him anchoring a lot of those minutes and he played some crunch time this year among all those things, though, Abby, what is your sort of biggest takeaway and sort of thing that impressed you most about Jonas' season this year? Oh, I think that with his... So, coming into this season, after, you know, locker cleanup day and Masai saying culture change, team needs to go through a culture change, I think a lot of people were wondering how that would impact JV and whether 
we would see JV potentially moved because you think of culture changing, you think of the style of moving the ball, three-point shooting. JV just never seemed to fit mm-hmm. into that into that sort of style. And so I was wondering too, I was curious as well, and I thought that would impact JV negatively, like we would see him even less. And um, I was just most impressed with the fact that he was able to sort of contribute to the culture change. Like it wasn't a situation where we changed our style and it was because JV didn't get to play. No, he played a, a major He was a key for the, he was like a key anchor to a top five defensive team. Mm-hmm. And his three-point shooting was key in, in helping uh, contribute to that culture change. I think in the past, JV was kind of seen as a bit of a black hole. You pass it to him in the post and he definitely will just keep it and force a shot up. It was rare that he would pass out of the post. And so this season, his passing out of the post improved, but also his ability to contribute by making threes. Um, I don't know. I, I was just most impressed with the fact that the Raptors were able to change their style and JV was able to contribute to that changing style. Yeah, I think those are all good points. I think the thing that I liked about his season most was they kind of cut the fat out of sort of what he used to do for the Raptors. I mean, there used to be, you know, two or three or five or six just like telegraph post-ups every single game. Pretty much every game would start with a Jonas post-up. And he didn't post up that much this season. It just, it was not really a part of his game. It wasn't really part of what the Raptors wanted to run on offense. And through that, they got a little bit more out of him in terms of, you know, maximizing the stuff that he's always done pretty well, just hasn't done it quite often enough. You know, in the past, I've always been clamoring for him to be more of a pick-and-roll threat because he's so impossible to guard as a dive man just because he's such an enormous dude. It's not like he's jumping out of the gym or anything, but, like, his hands are really soft, and he's always been a really good target there. And whether it's been a combination of, you know, just not getting those opportunities enough or Jonas, or sorry, Kyle and DeMar not really having the chemistry with him or whatever, that was never really a staple part of his game. But that was pretty much where he got most of his offense this season. And then when you can sprinkle in, you know, some instances where he'd pop instead of roll, that adds another layer of things, right? And, and, you know, we saw so many of those pick and pop threes where teams kind of seemed a little bit startled that he would pop out to the wing and it was like, oh, I guess he's doing this now. Um, and yeah, it was just a nice little wrinkle to add into the game. And, you know, he, they had him run a lot of dribble handoffs and stuff. He was able to sort of pick out cutters in a way that he never really has before. It just, they kind of opened up a bit of, uh, I think they broadened his horizons a little bit by cutting out those post-ups. And I think that led to a lot of positive things. Um, the defense is another thing I think we should probably talk about because, he has always been a problem defensively. The team is always much better defensively when he's off the court. That was still true this season, by the way. They were almost five points better per 100 possessions when Jonas sat, but they were passable. And the starting five was a pretty good defensive defensive unit overall, and they were a very good defensive team, top five in the league, as I mentioned off the top. And I think a lot of that was built around Jonas sort of being a more conservative, sort of near the rim big, and not really getting himself into trouble by getting lost in space. You know, it used to be that they'd be more aggressive with him. He'd hedge high. He'd do the high wall thing that Dwayne Casey used to talk about. That wasn't really the case this season, and he would just kind of hang back. And you saw that strategy work against a lot of really good teams, like the Rockets, for example. I think that strategy was pretty much the reason they pulled off that game. They, they forced James Harden into a lot of mid-range shots and, and sort of tr- tricky pull-ups, and there, there weren't opportunities for 
guards to just blow by him or really sort of you know toy with him as he was trying to negotiate whether or not he was going to drop back or come up and guard a shot. Um, you know, just the way that they built the defense, it just kind of suited him a lot better. What What did you think he improved? You know, it, it, it's hard to say exactly because it might just be scheme. But were, were there things in Jonas's defensive game this season that you noticed that like kind of perked up as opposed to years past? Um, I don't. You know, it's it's hard to say if it's that he personally improved on certain things or if it is just a scheme thing because I do think the scheme change is the biggest factor you you touched on it the way we defended the pick and roll this year um was just much more suited for JV's style Mm -hmm. um and yeah the Rockets game stands out the most if JV if it had been previous years when JV comes up high we would have been burned so much by those Harden Capella uh uh, U plays but the way he hung back but still kind of hovered. So he's still there if they're going to take a mid-range shot. He's close enough that he can contest, mm-hmm. but he was still a little bit back, but if that if they did try and toss it over to the big, he'd be there to intercept. And so I think that style change really was critical in having JV stay on the court, especially in, in the fourth quarters and crunch time. Um, he seemed a bit quicker this year, mm-hmm. um, but honestly, I think the biggest change with JV has to do more so with the schemes because you know we still kind of saw in the Cavs series that at the end of the day when Kevin Love was out there playing the five JV couldn't really stay on the court unless we were really exploiting the matchup offensively going inside to JV Mm -hmm. so a situation where Kevin Love couldn't guard JV like unless we were doing that we really couldn't keep JV out there because he was still pretty slow and and as you mentioned you know numbers wise we did still have I think the best defensive rating when he was off the court um and so it's hard to say I I think I do think it's more so just schemes less so than him personally changing but his rim protection definitely improved this year but I again I think it's also because he was he played more in the paint so, yeah, he wasn't like yeah. chasing dudes around and having to recover. Exactly, right? He yeah. wasn't. Yeah, it's, and maybe he just looked faster because there weren't instances where he was trying to catch up to guys um, where he couldn't do it. Maybe it just kind of looked looked that way because yeah, I do think a lot of it was scheme. Um, and yeah, it's so tricky with a guy like Jonas, right? I think the Kevin Love thing you mentioned is really important to sort of trying to when you're trying to evaluate Jonas. It's I think you have to kind of keep. It depends on what you want to be as a team, I think, right? And against the Cavs, if you have designs on beating the Cavs and moving on, like the only way that really worked with Jonas on the floor was in Game 1 where Kevin Love was missing every single shot. And they were able to press that advantage and sort of pound the boards and stuff like that. And Jonas could score inside on Love, but when Love heated up, it just you couldn't match the math. And I think that's kind of the problem in here with, with Jonas. And I think... If we're going to sort of transition this into the sort of talk about the negative stuff about him, I think it's kind of the same stuff as it's always been. And it's it's weird. With Jonas, he kind of feels like big man DeMar in, in kind of a weird way because he's very good. Like He's talented. He's a guy that you're happy to have on your team if you are okay with, stubs, with, with sub-championship levels of success. Like if you've built into your expectation that, yeah, this team isn't going to win a title, but I'm here for some fun basketball. Like Jonas is a perfect guy to have. There's no problem in having him on your team. But if you have designs on doing something more than that, there's kind of a cap that comes with him because he can be exploited by small small lineups on defense and because he's still not you know the most refined offensive player. He got better this season, no doubt, and his passing on the roll was you know an improved thing. You know, I think 
something we saw this year, and especially in the playoffs, this happened a few times. You know, he would find a guy, usually OG, basic, you know, cutting baseline, and that was just something we never saw with him. And so those are little signs of improvement. But the improvement, much like in the case of DeMar, has never been quite enough to sort of push the Raptors or, or himself over the edge to be a guy that you can absolutely trust 100% to be on the court in crunch time of a really important playoff game against a top-flight competition. And, you know, that, that kind of... I think it's inescapable at this point. Like, do you see any way in which Jonas can become a guy who is okay to be on the court in that kind of situation? In, in sorry, like in what kind of situation? Like in, in, in any series, you know, the Cavs series, for example, if you're or if you were to move on and say it was the you know, the Rockets or whatever in a potential finals, or even the Warriors, like for Jonas to be a guy that you can have on the court and sort of think you can win a championship around him with him as like the anchor of your defense. I just, I think that's just never going to be a thing with him. Would you agree? <laughs> I mean, that's such a blanket state. It's hard to say because it depends on the matchup. And I think yeah. like my biggest issue with the Cavs series is like in game one. Yes. Kevin Love was missing a lot of his shots. But the biggest thing in that game one, which we didn't really see for the rest of the series, was how much we used JV offensively to basically punish the mm-hmm. Cavs for trying to play Kevin Love at center. And that was like one of the very few times where the opposing coach actually has to make a change first. Mm-hmm. It always seems like it's Casey that has to adjust. But game one, Kevin Love, I think, was pulled off within the first few minutes because we kept getting so many offensive rebounds. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Love was clearly much smaller. And so I feel like you know, the league is definitely or has definitely moved away from the style that JV plays. But I still think that if teams want to try and go small, then the Raptors have to use JV as an advantage and kind of punish them inside. And then that's our way of being able to use him. Um, and I think that so I so I don't think no JV definitely can't be used um, in a big time series like in the finals. But I think you need to have um, a playing style and a coach who's going to know how to exploit JV's, you know, strengths um, to be able to keep him on the court. Yeah, I guess where I kind of disagree and kind of think that he is, there is sort of a limitation that is, and again, kind of like DeMar, there's just like a, a cap that comes with him. I think it's just that, like I said, with, with Kevin Love in that series, it only worked in game one because Kevin Love was uncommonly cold and was probably still hurt or whatever was going on with him. And there was nothing you could really do about it, and it was, you know, it was, it was uncontrollable that he was going to be that cold. But when he got back to sort of regular levels of Kevin Love, you couldn't really keep up with it, and it didn't really matter that Jonas was grabbing a bunch of offensive rebounds. It just it wasn't shaking out on the other end, and they were getting torched. Same as happened, you know, a couple years ago or last season in, in the postseason when you know he would come in off the bench and Channing Fry would rain threes on his head despite not being able to guard him. It just the math is never going to really work in Jonas's advantage because of his defense, and then just the. <sighs> It's the way they have to design the defense around him as well. I just think if you look at the playoffs and what's become successful in the NBA, you're never going to be able to run a successful high-level playoff defense. And I think this was sort of maybe maybe the dirty little secret about the Raptors' defense this year that, and sort of the reason why they weren't very good against top-flight offenses is that against top-flight offenses, they're good enough to sort of expose the little cracks that are, are revealed by a guy like Jonas being at the center of things. And if you're going to give up mid-range shots, you better be giving them up to guys who aren't going to hit them at 55%. And, and LeBron James can do that. And John Wall, when he's hot, can do that. And and just, 
Russell Westbrook in that game where they lost. I think a lot of that was as well sort of due to Jonas's defensive deficiencies, right? And I think really good high-level offenses with superstar players can kind of take advantage of that. So I think that's always going to be sort of Jonas's limiting factor. But, um, you know, it's it's tough because he's still really good and still has moments where he's really effective and has been part of, you know, this season a really good starting five and, and paired with Serge Ibaka reasonably well, better than I ever thought he would. So it's not like you could just be like, all right, Jonas comes with a cap and this kind of goes with my thinking along the DeMar lines as well. Like, I don't want to move on from DeMar because I think you're not going to get proper value back and it's still worthy of, it's worth having a guy like him on the team and and being successful and whatever. And Jonas can help do that as well. Um, But if you're going forward, looking at this summer, if you're looking at the core, I've kind of made this argument that Jonas might be the easiest guy to move with the bunch just because he is coming off a season where his value might be inflated and the contract isn't quite as burdensome. What are you sort of looking ahead to this offseason? What is your sort of dream scenario for what happens with Jonas this summer? Um, I mean, out of the people on the team, I feel like Jonas <laughs> needs to be moved the least. I, I yeah. just like, what do we if you think we should move Jonas, like what kind of big is it so that Serge can slide and play center or you would want to replace another center that's a bit more mobile, like how we had Biombo? I might just be to start Yak and maybe that's premature, but, and I'm not saying I want to see it happen either. Like I think you should definitely not be moving Jonas. And I said this last summer too, like you don't move Jonas just for the sake of moving him and just sort of get him off your books if you're not getting something back. But if you're in the business of keeping Fred Van Vliet, for example, and you want to sort of try to duck the tax, if that's a consideration this summer, you're probably not going to be able to move any of these other guys and get fair value back. But maybe Jonas can get you something and also some cap relief. And I think that would be sort of the argument for moving him. So, no, I don't think you have to rush to do it. But I don't know. Could you see an argument for potentially moving on from him and sort of maybe trying to get a couple picks or something like that and some some salary cap relief and then maybe just sort of promoting up Yak or having Surge slide down to the five, as you mentioned, or even trying Pascal at times next season in certain matchups. Like, I don't know, do you think there's enough big man depth there to maybe absorb that blow if they were to move on from him? Um, well, that's hard. I mean, JV is definitely still our best defender, or our best, sorry, rebounder. Yeah. I think, um, even rim protection wise, maybe you could argue that surge is a bit better, but JV has improved dramatically. I just, uh, I think that it all depends on the direction we're trying to take the team. So Masai has already kind of said that we're definitely not tanking. Mm-hmm. So I think he still wants for us to compete to basically try and make the finals next year. I think if we move JV for just for salary relief purposes or to get picks and just promote Yak. I don't think we're going to be good enough to. If Masai is really true about us competing, if he did a move like that, like we're definitely not going to improve the team if that's kind of the only move we do just to. Because I think I was looking at the numbers and I think Serge and Yak actually had the worst net rating. Like they've been the worst two man net rating, terrible defense rate. I'm sure the, the sample size was probably small, but of the times that we did see those two play together it wasn't really great and so there isn't that much evidence to show that those two can work i really feel like personally surge is a bigger problem than Jonas, but maybe because he is a bigger problem it'd be harder to move him um i just kind of feel like out of the two jv would kind of be getting shafted if he's the one that's moved because i feel like surge was a bigger issue i don't know how did you feel about 
the way the season ended with Serge. Oh, I totally agree. That's kind of why I think Jonas is the easier one to move because, you know, the Raptors, I don't think, are really in the business of offloading another pick to get rid of a contract this summer. And after what happened with Damari Carroll last year, and uh, so I don't think one year into Serge Ibaka on this new deal, they're going to sort of say, all right, here's a pick, let's get off of this. Like, I think it's, you can see the finish line close enough with Serge that they won't be compelled to do that, but you're also not going to get anything back for him. And I, I agree, if you could trade Serge before Jonas, I'd probably be down for that. You could slot in Pascal. I'm not sure how Pascal Jonas works as an offensive fit, but you could test it out, I suppose, um, and go from there. But yeah, it's it's tricky because... I don't think it's easy to move to Mar Kyle, especially like if you're talking about wanting to stay good next season. I think keeping those two is definitely more important than keeping Jonas. And yeah. if you move Jonas, like maybe that is the difference between keeping Fred or not keeping Fred, or maybe that's the reason you get to keep Norm Powell on the roster and hopefully you know hope for a bounce back from him because we've seen how important wings are in these playoffs. And if you have a wing locked up, try to mind that and hopefully you can get back to what you thought it was going to be when you signed that deal instead of offloading norm like i might prefer keeping norm over over Jonas at this point even though Jonas is clearly just a better player i just think with the log jam in the front court and maybe the sort of replaceability of centers and sort of the issues that Jonas posed in the playoffs and sort of the limitations that he comes with i could be sold on it I, again i'm not totally thrilled about the idea because i thought Jonas was really good this season and I maintain what I did last year, that he's too valuable, more valuable to the team than he is to pretty much any other team at this point because the you know, center market is log jammed and stuff like that. But if you can get something 75 cents on the dollar while also clearing cap space and sort of making it easier to keep a guy like Fred around, who I think was super important to this team this year um, and, and was crucial to keeping Lowry fresh and all that stuff, it's they're, they're going to have to make some decisions. And Jonas might not be the guy who's most culpable for what happened in the playoffs but I think there's enough there with sort of what he does poorly and how the team is constructed and just sort of how centers aren't really all that important compared to other positions these days where I could be sold on the idea of Jonas getting moved but like I'm not thrilled about it and from the sense that I'm getting from you you put you probably wouldn't be either well I think I'm I think I'm just hesitant because I just think about the Rockets and the Warriors series and and that fourth quarter when Houston obviously you don't live by three die by three that's their style and they're missing 27 in a row and he just felt like can you imagine if they had a player like Jonas that they could just dump the ball inside the post yeah and just back down and just score some easy points like definitely Jonas is our best player from that standpoint who could just get us easy points in the paint and sometimes you need that especially with the way the Raptors are constructed where other than Kyle and CJ, like our three point shooting is really not that, and Van Vliet, but our three point shooting is not that solid. And mm-hmm. so taking away a guy who clearly is our best inside scorer when we don't really have the three point shooting power that Houston or Golden State has, it's like we're just going to be even more weaker because then when we do have those off shooting nights, we have no alternative. And we, and you know, um, Pirtle has shown promise. And he has, like, really good hands. He's really good in the pick and roll. But in terms of just giving it to him to just score easy points in the paint, he, he can't do that as well as JV. Baby obviously can't. Pascal hasn't shown he can. And so it's just a risk, I think, just because the rest of our roster isn't great shooters. And so mm-hmm. having his inside presence is just really important. That's 
where I'm mostly worried about moving on from JV. Yeah, I ultimately agree with you, I think. And like I said, I, I've been team run it back forever. Everyone knows that. <laughs> run it back until the sun burns out or the earth gets blown up by nuclear bombs. But um, so, like, I, I'm fine with bringing Jonas back. I just think if it comes down to a tax, tax consideration, I could see Jonas potentially being the easiest guy to move. But you're right. And it's... It's nice to have a dude who can rebound at the rate that he does and who can sort of be a mismatch problem in a certain area of the game. And I, it's so hard to... Like, we watched that Warriors-Rocket series and that felt like solved basketball almost. And for times it was kind of a crappy series because it was so solved and so robotic and everything just seemed kind of prescripted. But, like, when you see basketball at that high a level, I think it kind of can sway your perception a little bit and sort of make you look at guys within your own house and say, that guy couldn't play in that series. But the odds are that you're never going to be in a series like that. And if you want yeah. the chance to get to a series like that, you probably got to have a guy like Jonas on the team who, like you said, can be an easy source of offense at times or um, can be a good rebounder, can be a solid rim protector. And I, I do fear if they were to move on from Jonas and you don't get the rebounding improvement from a guy like Yak or, or Siakam, you will come up against a team or a game next season where it's like, oh, we're getting absolutely crushed on the boards. That happened already sometimes this season when Jonas didn't play very much. Um, mm-hmm. But the difference would be that, you know, you don't have a Jonas to throw in to sort of, you know, quell that th- those issues. And you kind of are sitting there just kind of bereft of a certain skill set on your roster that Jonas is really the only guy that provides it. So unless you can make like a, a big for cheaper big who has a similar skill set type of deal i don't see that really happening um and i do think there's some risk in moving on from Jonas for sure but um we've gone 25 or so minutes do you have anything any parting shots about Jonas this season before we wrap this thing up um i just i think you know in general i think he had a really good season Mm -hmm. i think even though even as you mentioned his minutes were down but if you just look at the per 36 he basically had career highs yeah across the board points assists rebounding I was impressed with his passing. And I think that, you know, another season, another offseason, he'll come back even better. And so I still am holding out hope for Jonas. Uh, But if we do have to move on from him, then I think the Raptors need to go all in on a different style. Like, I think if we want to be a three-point shooting team that launches up a whole bunch of threes, I think we were third in three-point attempts this year. Like, if that's the type of team we want to be, then I think we need to kind of go in the opposite direction and move JV and just go for broke on shooters. Yeah. Um, but if not, then I think we've got to try and see if we can make JV work because I think he's shown that he can still be a really important player for a team like the Raptors. Look, he was probably the third-best Raptor this year. And I think I put him third on my, like, season-end list of, like, team MVP. He was really damn good. And... Yeah, there were some problems, and, and, you know, he had, I think, of all regulars, aside from Norman Powell, he had the worst on-court net rating. It was a plus 5.8, though. Like, he was still pretty effective when he was out there, right? And he was pr- probably the third-best player on a 59-win team, and yes, there are issues, and like I said, but the DeMar thing, like, there are certain caps that come with certain players, but... Uh, I don't think you can sort of build your entire team around and sort of your entire outlook around what the absolute peak series look like um, between two of the best teams of this decade and 
You know, I feel like if he was to play in that Celtics series, for example, there's a spot for him in that series. We saw how Tristan Thompson excelled there, and Jonas is just like a more refined, maybe less good defensively, but a way more refined offensive player than Tristan Thompson is, so maybe there's a role for him in that series. And I think, like, against 26 or 27 teams, there is a role for him. It's just against the very best teams, and if you have a design on being a championship team, I wonder about sort of how far he can carry you as a third-best player or, you know, anchor of a defense or what have you, but... Um, yeah. Jonas is good. He's very good. Yeah. I agree with all of those points. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. This has been a lot of fun, Abby. I'm glad we can get you on the show. Anything that you want to plug? Where can people find you? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at A-A-M-A-R-T-E-Y, so A-M-R-T-1. Um, I do have a Raptors Roundup podcast. we pretty slacking we only put out one episode it was kind of towards the end of the season so it was kind of bad timing on that part i think we'll be a lot more active next season or if there's some like great stuff that happens in the off season um but yeah mainly you can find me on twitter at amrt1 if you're not following abby you probably haven't been on raptors twitter long because as i said at the top raptors twitter legend over here and uh, <laughs> very thankful that we could get you on the show um and we'll have you on again for sure, for sure, in the future as well. It's a shame that it took this long because I'm a dumb idiot. Uh, and, like, for some reason, kept my circle of guests confined to a very small number of people. Uh, that'll change going forward. And uh, you have definitely uh, made this show much better and made me sound smarter. So thank you for that. Uh, listeners, please subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. It's the best way to support the show. I've told you this spiel a million times. If you're not going to do it, you probably aren't if you haven't done it yet. But please, it's very helpful and uh, it takes no time at all. And it's a free show. So come on, do it. It's it's, it's, it's the only thing I've ever asked of any of you. Um, we'll be back again on Friday. Our pal Katie Heinwell is going to come on. We're going to do a uh, season review of Fred Van Vliet. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And uh, yeah, I, I, that's about all i got going on right now is the podcast. But There'll be some writing at some point, I'm sure, maybe, if I get off my ass, but uh, that's TBD. Uh, yeah, so until next time, thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on Locked on Raptors.